considering how central to our faith the historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth is, it's remarkable how little we actually know about the vast majority of his life on earth. We know a little bit about the circumstances of his birth. We know that he and his parents were refugees in Egypt for a time when he was a baby. We know about one single trip to Jerusalem when he was around 13. And other than that, nothing until he's 30 years old. And even though the Gospels have numerous stories about Jesus from the age of 30 to 33, about half of the Gospel stories focus on just the last week of his life. If you want an irreverent speculation on his life growing up, you could check out the book Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal by Christopher Moore. And there are some other more serious speculations of Christ's life, but we honestly don't really know much about most of his life. Still, what we do know about just those last few years of his life is quite dramatic. Starts off as an itinerant teacher with this scruffy band of disciples. Heals hundreds, if not thousands, of people of all sorts of illnesses. Frees people from their demons. Feeds thousands of people from scraps of food. Has revolutionary teaching. Walks on water commands a storm to stop, and it does. If we tried to sum up Jesus's life in one sentence, or tried to choose one scene from his life to represent the whole of his life, even though a lot of information is missing, there would still be a lot to choose from. And that's why I am struck by the choice the writers of the Apostles' Creed made in the phrase that we are looking at this morning. Last week, we looked at the phrases that speak of Jesus' birth, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Next week, we'll, we will look at the phrase, was crucified, dead, and buried. In other words, Jesus' death. This morning, we are looking at the one phrase the writers of the Apostles' Creed chose to sum up the whole of Jesus' life between birth and death. And they chose this, suffered under Pontius Pilate. That's it. That's what they chose, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Nothing about miracles. Nothing about his teachings, nothing about what he did even, but what was done to him. Essentially, Jesus was born, suffered, died. Though 
This may seem initially an odd choice. Ultimately, I find it very comforting. If we live with any conviction in this life or any compassion, we will experience suffering and we will be aware of the suffering of others around us. This part of the Apostles' Creed reminds us or this, this part of the, uh, reminds us that our Savior doesn't stand aloof from this aspect of our lives. Our Savior suffers with us. Jesus doesn't save us from suffering, but leads us through suffering to salvation. Initially for Jesus' disciples, it was a major shock that he neither saved them nor himself from suffering. Everyone thought the anointed one would be a powerful king like David had been, that he would overthrow the Roman oppressors, reclaim the rightful kingdom, and protect God's kingdom from enemy nations, that he would return Israel to the days of abundance and splendor, that they enjoyed in the days of King Solomon. But rather than that, not only did the Israelites suffer under Rome, so did Jesus. The English theologian C.E.B. Cranfield reminds us of the lifelong suffering Jesus endured. He writes, the suffering that reached its fearful climax in the Passion characterized the whole of his life. We may think here of the poverty surrounding his birth, the hardships of his life in Nazareth, the lack of success that for the most part marked his ministry, and the restraints and frustrations of that messianic veiledness to which in obedience to his father, he had to submit. And through it all, he was carrying our burdens. We don't know the specifics of Jesus's upbringing, but we do know, as Cranfield puts it, that he was born into poverty. His moan of birth was shared in a room with animals. We don't know if they were actually in there at the time, but, but it was a place that, that sheltered animals. He grew up in a rural village with dirt floors, dirt roads. That sort of materially impoverished living adds tremendous stress to every aspect of life. Stanley Grand's a a professor from Regent College, points out that Jesus experienced the whole spectrum of suffering that human beings can suffer. He writes, Jesus experienced the range of needs common to us all. These included physical needs, such as the time he arrived tired and thirsty in a village in Samaria after a long journey. Jesus experienced psychological needs, including that of companionship, when filled with despair at the prospect of betrayal and death, for example, he sought out the support of his three closest friends. And Jesus experienced spiritual needs, 
needs that drove him to withdraw from the crowds to seek solitude and communion with the one he called Father. Jesus likewise faced times of trial and even temptation. In fact, on three crucial occasions, he endured an especially severe testing. All three of these moments involved intense, even satanic questioning of what he had sensed was obedience to his chosen vocation according to his father's will. In addition to all of that, because Jesus is also God, he suffered in ways entirely unique to him. The late Swiss theologian and holder of my favorite name of all time, Hans Urs von Balthasar, captures this truth in writing. What it means to bear the burden of the world's guilt, to experience in oneself the inner perversion of a humankind that refuses any sort of service, any sort of respect to God, and to do so in view of a God who turns away from these abominations, who can conceive of it? And as all those unsurveyable epics of time from beginning to the end of the world are brought together here, the suffering of Christ becomes timeless for the sufferer. Other than when Jesus is on the cross itself, the most poignant revelation of the suffering Jesus Endured, I believe, is that that we glimpsed in that gospel reading of Jesus knowing what's coming, knowing he's going to be killed, crucified. And he goes out with his friends and even draws his closest three friends to go with him. And then we hear him admit, my soul is, this is the NIV now, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he asks them just to stay awake and pray for a little bit. And he goes away and comes back and they're asleep. His closest friends in his most difficult suffering. And, and then it, it is astonishing to me. He goes out two more times and admits that he prayed basically the same thing. If there's any other way, God, let me do that. Let me take that road. He was human, like us, and suffered incredibly. Even though Jesus had told his disciples numerous times that he was going to suffer more and be killed, they couldn't process that idea even until after they witnessed it and he was resurrected. Then, years later, they began to see where God had tried. God had tried to let all of Israel know that this would be the way of their Savior. Centuries before Jesus appeared, God gave Isaiah a vision of this truth that then, as people looked back, disciples of Jesus said, this God was telling us. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? 
The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. He was looked down on and passed over. A man who suffered, or as the NIV puts it, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And everybody looked on him as if he was a pathetic wreck because of his own doing. We thought he brought it on himself, but it was our sins that did that to him. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. Our Savior suffered. We remind ourselves of this every week in the Creed. And to keep us from letting this become just sort of an abstract idea, the Creed adds under Pontius Pilate. This addition, that little addition add, settles our faith permanently into the concrete reality of our world, including the systems in which we live. That adverb, under, speaks to us of systems of hierarchy, of oppression by class or race or ethnicity or gender. Pontius Pilate was a real person, historically attested by Roman historians. He represented the Roman government in Judea. He represented a system that inflicted suffering on those under their rule. Jesus himself suffered under the systemic acts of oppression of the government Pilate represented. Again, C.E.B. Cranfield helps us understand the significance of including this phrase under Pontius Pilate in the Creed. Pilate's name in the Creed is a constant reminder to Christians that all state power, and in a democracy that includes, to some extent, the whole electorate stands under God's judgment. Human governments are very often guilty of injustice, like Pilate, who was in unjust even by his own standards, since he delivered Jesus to execution to safeguard his own possession, even after pronouncing him innocent. So taken as a whole, using this phrase, under, suffered under Pontius Pilate to sum up the life of Jesus between birth and death brings to our hearts and minds the knowledge that Jesus experienced the breadth and depth of suffering that fills our lives. From physical to spiritual, from private to public, from that caused by his friends to that caused by his enemies to that caused by systems of government and religion that were meant to provide for his well-being. And he endured all of these things, not for himself, but for us. As the writer of the Hebrew, Hebrews puts it, Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. And by embracing death and suffering, we can add, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life. 
It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us. That's why he had to endure, enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. A great poet, Scott Cairns, who actually now runs the MFA program at Seattle Pacific, has reflected on all these things and how they come together in our own lives in his little book, The End of Suffering. He writes at one point, we may recall that some among the first century in Jerusalem, in particular those who believed Jesus to be the Messiah, were both surprised and disappointed that he didn't redeem Israel in quite the way they had assumed he would. The thief, being crucified beside Christ, was not simply baiting Jesus when he asked of him, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He was probably thinking that if this bloody man hanging beside him were truly God's anointed, then any reasonable self-respecting Christ would do just that, save himself. The Christ, in any case, had bigger fish to fry, enough to satisfy the multitudes, which is why he did not save himself, but rather gave himself. He did not come simply to rid the Jews of the oppressive Romans any more than he came to trump the other oppressive circumstances that his oddly beloved creatures have continued to construct for themselves and others. On the contrary, he came to suffer the results of those cosmic bad choices with us, and by so doing to both show us how we might survive them and to enable our survival in himself. That is to say, he did not come here to undo our choices, but to move through them victoriously and to show us how we might likewise move. There is so much suffering in this world. And I will be honest and admit that at certain points in my life, the awareness of the suffering in people's lives has overwhelmed me. I felt hopeless under the weight of it all. But Christ, in his love and tenderness, has borne that weight and made his presence known to me. I've made it my life's work to try to help others know the presence of Jesus in their lives because of the life-saving comfort and strength and hope Jesus can bring to all of us. Our Savior suffered under Pontius Pilate. He didn't save himself from suffering, and he doesn't save us from suffering. But he is with us, and he leads us through suffering into the fullness of salvation. Thanks be to God.